now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North, Northwest Highway, on the northwest side of Chicago. Great food. It's a great atmosphere. No Cubs games to watch, but they do have some specials for some Bears games, so make sure you get over to Coach's. Today, we welcome back to the show Cubs HQ's very own Dustin Reese, to break down all things Cubs prospects. Thanks for coming on, Dustin. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Absolutely, and I know we talked earlier uh, before the 2021 season, but I just want to ask you again, with no minor leagues in 2020, how much of an impact or maybe even damage did that do to the farm system and the minor league community? In terms of the minor league community, I think it did a lot of damage to the younger prospects, the ones that were drafted in 2020 the ones that were drafted in 2019 that maybe maybe only had a handful of games that they got to experience in 2019 and then having to go basically a year without any game action and that hurt them a lot in terms of development because you can say what you want about all those summer camps that all the major league teams had where they had prospects at them but if you're not getting consistent professional pitching it's not going to really do much in terms of your development but the ones that had playing time in Double A and Triple A back in 2019, I don't think they were as affected as other prospects, just because they've been performing at a higher level for a longer period of time. So they just kind of had to find different ways to stay in baseball shape. Okay, and obviously they did have those alternate sites, like you said. Some players got to get uh, live at bats, but not too many. How how important was it this year to not only get a full minor league season? Um, or at least a, a pretty full minor league season, but also a bigger draft, because I know they cut down the rounds in 2020 to just five. It was very important just because you knew going in that no major league baseball team was going to be able to survive with a five-player draft every single year because it's just going to leave too many prospects untouched. It's going to leave too many players untouched, which is always going to affect the game. Baseball has a hard enough time finding high-quality players and finding enough prospect as it is, so taking away additional rounds is never a good thing. So seeing that get extended from five rounds to 20 rounds this year is a lot better than what it was. Obviously, it's not the 40-some rounds that it used to be, but at that point, I think 40 rounds is way too much as it was. I kind of like this 20-round structure as like the perfect number just because you're going to get your high-level prospects in the top five rounds. You're going to get mid-tier prospects after that, and then the low-round picks that are generally 14 through 20, they have the option to sign right out of the draft, or they can go back to college and try to better their status the next year. Got it. Okay, so last time you were on the show, we talked about Braylon Marquez. Um, we talked about Ed Howard. We talked about Miguel Amaya and a couple other guys. What are some updates that you have on, on their progress through the minors? Marquez, I think, suffered the toughest break of any of the Cubs' prospects this year. Um, obviously, people saw him at the end of 2020 when he made his Major League debut against the White Sox, and yes, he struggled with his command, but he showed everybody what he was capable of doing. When spring training got started this year, he missed the first couple of weeks due to COVID intake problems, so he was already two weeks behind that. 
Then they moved him over to minor league spring training where he suffered a shoulder injury. They basically shut him down up until July. They tried to bring him around slowly, but they ended up just shutting him down for the entire season this year. So that right there is kind of a concern because if you go back to 2020, he has thrown a total of two-thirds of an inning the last two years, which was his two-thirds of an inning he threw against the White Sox. So he's basically now gone two full seasons without throwing any professional innings, which leads me to believe that his days as a starter might be over now, and they might just try to utilize him as the bullpen as much as they possibly can. Okay. Uh, Again, Maya, again, another guy that suffered a very tough season this year. He was looked at as somebody who could potentially contend for the backup catcher role in 2022. He got off to a very slow start with Tennessee this year, hitting, I believe, a 215 in his 23 games with the Smokies this year with one homer and 13 RBIs. He then suffered a forearm injury in late May where the team had to decide if they were going to give him Tommy John surgery or not. From all indications, it doesn't look like he needs Tommy John at this point, but the lack of games that he played this year is definitely going to affect him, and I don't see him being ready now to make the Major League roster until maybe the end of the 2022 season at the earliest. Ed Howard finally got a chance to showcase what he can do after being selected as the Cubs' first-round pick in 2020. Got off to a very slow start with Myrtle Beach this year, but... That was pretty much a given considering how he didn't have any professional action in 2020 just because of COVID. Uh, he had a 225 with the Pelicans with four homers and 31 RBIs, but his final 35 to 40 games, he was hitting at 260. So he kind of started to figure things out that last month or so, and that's something that he's definitely going to carry over, I think, into 2022, where he's most likely going to start the season in South Bend. Okay, understood, and I think... You know, a lot of people expected the Cubs to potentially trade Wilson Contreras because they had somebody coming in the farm system. But because there's a, a question mark with Amaya, do you think that might lead to a Contreras extension at the big league level, possibly? I don't necessarily know if it's going to lead to a Contreras extension at this point. I think they need to let next season play out, especially when you look at the year that he had this year. Yes, he still put up great power numbers, hitting 21 home runs, but he hit a 228, which was the lowest average he had in his career thus far. And if you're going to extend a player, especially somebody as talented as his Contreras is, you're going to need better than a 228 batting average on a yearly basis. And I think the Cubs need to see him bounce back, even if it's in the 250s, 260s, which is not where he was hitting. He used to be like a 280 type of hitter. Anything's better than a 228. And if he can show that he can still hit the – 2025 home runs but get his average closer to 260 then i could definitely see him getting an extension but otherwise it's going to be i think more of a waiting game for him to see what he does this year and then kind of watch amaya during the season this year to see how amaya develops as well yeah i guess on the flip side it might be a cheaper time to extend Contreras, but you also don't want to be signing a guy to uh to to a big contract and only have him hit 220 so that's a good point now in the middle of the season, the Cubs traded away about eight to nine players, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Craig Kimbrell, Jack Peterson, Ryan Tapera, Javier Baez, and Trevor uh, Williams, Jake Mrznik, and Andrew Chafin. So I'm going to ask you kind of individually with those trades, just kind of what you've heard back 
on some of the prospects they've got in return. Um, so I'll start with the Anthony Rizzo trade. They got Kevin Alcantara and Alexander Vizcaino. What do you have on those guys? Kevin Alcantara, to me, is going to be a prospect to watch next year. He checks in at number 16 on the Cubs' top 30 prospect list right now. From the moment the, choir, the Cubs acquired him, he did nothing but hit. He combined a hit, a three forty-five in the minors this year between the Yankees organization and the Cubs organization. With the Cubs, he hit a three thirty-seven with four homers and 21 RBIs in just 25 games. And when you watch his approach to the plate, he has a Alfonso Soriano type of swing where he's got the high leg kick, the long bat extension. He just has a much better eye at the plate and much better plate discipline. So instead of being a 250, 260 hitter like Soriano was, I could see him being like a 280 type of hitter with the same amount of power, but just not as much speed also. Uh, Alexander Vizcaino, kind of a similar situation. He checks in at number 19 in the Cubs' top 30 right now. He had a lot of struggles in the minor leagues this year. He had an ERA north of six, which... It's mainly because he had two very terrible starts in high A this year, which really inflated his ERA. Once he got to South Bend, he posted a 5.27 ERA in five games, but you take away his first two starts, which are terrible. His ERA was under a three the rest of the way. He held opponents to a 163 batting average, and the thing that I like about him the most is he's a hard thrower that can touch 98-99 with his fastball, and he he can consistently carry that fastball while mixing in off-speed pitches as well. All right. Then the Chris Bryant trade to the Giants. The Cubs got Alexander Canario and Caleb Killian back. I know a lot of us saw Canario hitting some bombs on social media, but what else do you have on those two new prospects? Of all the trades the Cubs made this summer, this is my favorite trade and probably the one that I think is going to benefit them the most. Caleb Killian especially, I mean, right now he's ranked 14th in the Cubs system, but I'm going to go and kind of put this on a limb right now. I have a feeling he's going to be the number two starter or the number two ranked pitching prospect in the Cubs system following next year. Uh, Back in 2019, he posted a zero ERA across seven appearances with two walks and 27 strikeouts, so he immediately burst onto the scene as a legitimate pitcher. Last year, he made 15 starts across three levels and was 4-4 four and four with a 2.75 ERA, 12 walks, 80 strikeouts. So not only does he have exceptional command, but he has walked 15 batters compared to 129 strikeouts so far in his minor league career. He's got a great fastball, a great sinker. He's got great off-speed stuff. This is exactly the type of starter that the Cubs need to build their future rotation on, and I think he could take a similar track the kind of like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson took this year where they may bring him up next year at some point to stick him in the bullpen just to get him some major league action and then as the season goes on work him back into that starting rotation Alexander Canario you said it best yourself pretty much all he did when he got to the Cubs was hit home runs and he was more of an unknown prospect to me until he got to Chicago but the more I watched him play the more I love what he can do he has to cut way down on his strikeouts, which is something I know the Cubs want to get away from, but the more he plays, the less strikeouts I think he's going to have. He's got a lot of thunder in that bat. He reminds me a lot of Jorge Soler, just with a little bit more speed, I think even some more power, but 
depending on the Cubs outfield situation, he is also a guy that I would not be surprised if he got traded later down the road, similar to what they did when they had Eloy Jimenez. It's just more of can he develop into the hitter that they want him to develop into, and when that's the case, is there going to be a spot for him to play? All right, yeah, I know when I saw Canario, my, my first thought was Jorge Soler too, so it's funny you say that. How about Javier Baez and Trevor Williams to the Mets? The Cubs get only one prospect in return, uh, but he was a first-round pick, Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong is actually a top 50 major, uh, major league prospect, if I remember correctly. I think he checks in at 47th overall, which puts him in number five in the Cubs system. He kind of suffered the same thing that Braylon Mark has suffered as he went through a brutal season this year. He only played in six games this year and had 24 at-bats. Granted, he was 10 for 24 for a 417 average, so he was crushing the ball in his limited sample size, but ended up having season-ending shoulder surgery at the end of May, so he practically lost an entire year of his professional development. So there's really not much you can take away from the season he had outside of the small sample size that he gave the fans was a very positive sample size, and from all accounts, He's a very highly regarded prospect, so even with basically a year of no professional ball under his belt, I don't think that's going to slow him down at all. I'm not going to be surprised to see him make double-A by the end of the season next year and then start triple-A by 2023 with hopes of making it to the show shortly after. All right, so he's probably a little bit of a, a longer road, but definitely some talent there. How about the Crosstown trade uh, that saw the Cubs give the White Sox Craig Kimbrell and the Cubs got back two probably major league ready players and Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. Obviously Madrigal's been hurt, but did some good things for the White Sox last year and, and Cody Hoyer might have been their best bullpen piece down the stretch. Uh Hoyer is a, a very underrated pitcher. Not many people talked about him when that trade happened, mainly because his ERA was around a five when he was with the White Sox, but then he comes to the north side and he posts in the array around the 3.1, 3.2. He's got an Andrew Miller-type delivery from the right side, so he's always going to be very difficult to right-handed hitters, especially because of the cross-fire delivery that he has. He's very capable of being a late-inning reliever who can either be a setup man in the eighth inning or a closer in the ninth. I think his best role is kind of that seventh or eighth-inning spot to give the ball to a more pronounced closer, but there is going to be on that major league roster when the season opens next year unless he gets hurt in spring. Same thing with Nick Madrigal. When he was with the White Sox, he developed as probably the best two-strike hitter in all of baseball, which is why he got the nickname Nicky Two-Strikes. Um, that's something the Cubs need. The Cubs need more of these contact-first approach hitters. Madrigal is exactly the hitter that this Cubs lineup needs, and depending on the Nico Horner situation and how he bounces back next year, you have two guys like Madrigal and Horner at the top of the lineup. It's going to make things very difficult for pitchers because not only are they high-contact hitters that don't strike out much, but they're guys that are capable of getting on base, stealing bases, and just playing the type of small ball that the Cubs actually had success with during the second half of the season. Yeah, they, they definitely kind of fit that mold of players the Cubs are looking for. Less strikeouts, higher contact rate, more on-base skills, so... We'll see how that ends up playing out. How about Jack Peterson, who's been on fire for the Atlanta Braves in the playoffs? They traded him in early July and got back minor league first baseman Bryce Ball. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that if the Cubs uh, were in contention, 
after July, I don't think uh, Peterson would have been dealt, mainly because it seems like whenever the playoffs start, start, Jack Peterson goes into superhero mode where you can't get him out. But Bryce Ball was a trade that I think needed to happen, whether it was uh, Jack Peterson being traded or Ian Happ or somebody else along the way, mainly because he's a 23-year-old first baseman, which everyone knows the Cubs are going to need a first baseman now, especially with Rizzo gone now, but even at the time, they knew they needed a first baseman lined up for the future. He had a very rough season average-wise this year. He only hit a 206, but he did hit 13 home runs and drove in 52 across his two minor league seasons, so going back to 2019 when he was drafted in the in round 24, and then this year he has 255 batting average with 30 homers and 104 RBIs across 169 games, so basically a little bit more than a regular 142-game minor league season, 106 walks and 171 strikeouts. So not only is he going to be, I think, a decent hitter in terms of average, probably somebody that's going to hit the 262-70 range, He's got a tremendous eye at the plate, so he's going to be that high on-base percentage guy that the Cubs need to have. And he's going to bring power from the left side of the plate, which is also something that the Cubs have lacked this year. All righty, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. How about the other crosstown trade? Cubs gave Ryan Tapera to the Sox and got back Bailey Horn. Yeah, Bailey Horn is... I don't really know what Bailey Horn is at this point, mainly because I don't know the role the Cubs are going to essentially give him. He's 23. He's made 21 minor league appearances. 14 of them were starts. He's posted a 3-3 and record with a 540 ERA. This was his first professional season as a pro since being drafted. And with South Bend, he was 1-0 with a 4.98 ERA. His command was an issue for most of the season this year. He had 50 walks and, like, 69 strikeouts, so that's not something you want to see. But the more comfort he got with South Bend, the better he became. He's one of those guys next year to kind of really watch to see what the Cubs do with him. Are they going to keep him as a starter? Are they going to transform him into a bullpen role? Because he has the stuff to be a starter. It just seems like when you look at how the season ended this year with Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele getting starts down the stretch. You had Alzolai getting plenty of starts the first half of the season. It seems like the Cubs have the three starters that they want to count on for the future in those three, and then they kind of have to figure out which other guys from their minor league system are capable of coming up right now. I know they have their sights on quite a few of them, but is Bailey Horn going to follow that trend is the question. All righty, that's another thing we'll definitely keep our eyes on as we move into spring training in just a couple of months. Uh, this trade kind of flew under the radar at the deadline. Jake Marisnik from the Cubs to the Padres for Anderson Espinosa. Yeah, Anderson Espinosa is very similar to what Alexander Vizcaino brought to the table from the Yankees. He's a very big, hard-throwing right-hander who's going to touch triple digits with this heater, which definitely is something the Cubs have lacked. They've had the slowest rotation in terms of average velocity the past couple of years, so anytime you hear about a flame-throwing starting pitcher added to the mix, it's a good thing. The only concern that I have is he pitched in 2015 making 15 starts. He pitched in 2016 making 24 starts. But from 2016 to 2021, he did not pitch a single inning because he had multiple Tommy John surgeries over that five-year stretch. Oof. 
He basically went five years without throwing any innings at all. Came back this year to make 20 starts, but only went a total of 58 innings in those 20 starts, posting a 1-3 mark with a 4.19 ERA, 32 walks, and 80 strikeouts. So, yes, he made a lot of starts this year, but he did not pitch more than three innings in any of those starts. Showed plenty of potential with his overall stuff. But given the history that he had with the amount of Tommy John surgeries that he had going five years, basically, between competitive appearances, he's not somebody that I think you can count on long time, long term to be a starter. He's one of those hard-throwing right-handers that you need to have in the back of your bullpen just because you can limit his innings, you can monitor how many innings he's getting, and you can just have him come in for an inning or two a couple days a week and just give you max effort every time out. Okay, so Espinosa might be a little bit of a project for the Cubs, but we'll we'll see what he can bring if he ever gets to the majors. The last trade was Andrew Chafin to the A's for outfielder Greg Dykeman, who we have seen at the major league level a little bit in the second half, and Daniel Palencia. Yeah, Greg Dykeman, I think, suffered the most in terms of who the Cubs traded for, mainly because... He never got the opportunity that I think fans expected him to get when the trade was made. He only saw action in 14 games with the Major League roster, going 4 for 30 for a 133 average, zero walks, one RBI, or zero homers, one RBI, one walk, 14 strikeouts, which when you look at his minor league stats, that's not the type of hitter he was. He was more of a patient hitter that took his walks he had 61 walks this year and struck out 98 times so yes the strikeouts are there but he was also a hitter that knows how to work the count and take plenty of walks he hit a 274 in the minors this year but as a part of the cubs system he only hit i think a 230 or a 240 so from the moment he got to chicago he really struggled to really do much of anything however i think with a full off season and kind of getting back in the swing of things He's going to have every opportunity in the world next year to see significant time during spring training with a chance to be the Cubs starting a left fielder next year or at least be the team's fourth outfielder. So I'm not going to give up on him yet. I think it was just more of he needed time to figure out how to fit in after the trade deadline. Daniel Palencia, kind of the same thing. A bit of an unknown prospect at this point, but he is a 21-year-old right-hander who spent his entire Cubs tenure with the Merrill Beach Pelicans this year. And 14 starts this year in the minors, he went 1-2 with a 4.79 ERA. But on the flip side, from when he once he got to Myrtle Beach, his season kind of turned around. He went 1-0 with a 3.67 ERA with the Pelicans across seven starts, held opponents to a 179 batting average, and then went on to make his best start of the season in his final outing. So he's looked a lot better after the trade than what he did before the trade. I expect him to spend another year in Myrtle Beach just to kind of give um, as many starts as possible this year to kind of really see the type of pitcher he's going to be. But he's another one of those guys that I think is very similar to what the Cubs got out of Adrian Sampson this year. He's not a hard thrower. He throws 91-92, but he's a ground ball type of pitcher, and those are the ones that the Cubs kind of want to focus on going forward just because – if you can limit the fly balls and limit the damage that you're giving up at Wrigley Field, chances are you're going to have a lot of success. Okay, so there you have it. On the 12 prospects the Cubs got at the trade deadline, 
plus, you know, a full draft or at least a, a bigger draft. You know, Jordan Wicks got picked, and I know a lot of people are pretty high on him. Plus, last offseason, the trade with the Padres, um, four new prospects, including uh, Preciado, who I know we talked about, Owen Cassie last time you were on the show, and um, Christian Hernandez from the international pool. All these new additions to the farm system. Where does this farm system rank now? Well, if you look at MajorLeagueBaseball.com, if you look at Baseball America and all these so-called experts that grade the farm system, they still have the Cubs system between 15 and 17, which it's a vast improvement from where it was, but it's still not what you want to see if you're a Cubs fan. I disagree with most of those rankings. I do think this system is a top 10 farm system as it sits right now, mainly because you had guys like Braylon Marquez did not see action this year. Miguel Amaya, Pete Crow Armstrong, limited action this year. Cubs have another top 10 prospect in Cole Franklin, zero action this year. They have another top 25 pitcher in Riley Thompson, zero action this year. Cole Rotor, zero action this year. A lot of the Cubs' top 30 prospects were either limited in action this year or had no experience at all this year based on injuries. So you add them into the equation next year, plus the development of everybody else that they've acquired at the deadline and just another year of development for the rest of the prospects in the system, this is going to be a top-five system, I think, by the end of next season, especially when you look at the year Brennan Davis had this year. He'll most likely be in the major leagues at some point next year. James Triantos, who the Cubs acquired in the second round of the draft this year, not only rose to number 11 in the system, but absolutely tore the cover off the baseball in the Arizona Rookie League this year. And he's most likely going to start the season in South Bend and dunk and jump Myrtle Beach. DJ Hers had a got organizational pitcher of the year this year after putting together the second highest strikeouts per nine innings rate in the minor leagues this year. Kevin Bade went out and had a terrific year at shortstop this year when he finally got to the bigs. And even guys like Nelson Velasquez, who was an unknown prospect last year, he goes and actually puts together a better season than Brennan Davis had in the organization this year, hitting an organization high 23 homers this year to go with 20 or go with 73 RBIs. It's just seasons like that that the Cubs had. They had so many players that got a chance to play this year, so many players that came through and had better years than what anyone expected because so many other prospects did not see action this year. Their system is as deep as it as deep as it has been since 2013 when you started to see the Bryants and the Rizzos and the Schwarbers and the Biases come through. So I'm really looking forward to show for this system to show everybody what it's got. And by 2024, this system is going to be absolutely loaded. I think a lot of these prospects are going to be up in the majors by 2024. And it's a good problem to have for the Cubs because they're going to have so many players ready to contribute, but there's not going to be enough spots for all these players, which is a curse, but it's also a blessing because then it shows you how much depth you actually have. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can start potentially making some trades uh, for major league talent or whatever the case may be. You know, we've touched on a lot of guys so far, Dustin. Are we missing anybody in the Cubs' top ten? Um, I would say, obviously, Jordan Wicks. Uh, Jordan Wicks was their top pick this year. I think he was taking number 16 or 17 in the first round. I forgot where the Cubs picked this year. But Jordan Wicks was a late arrival to full-season ball. He 
didn't arrive until late August and saw four starts with self bend. He went zero and zero with a five fourteen ERA, which obviously is not impressive at all. He only saw seven innings of action, so it was more of they just wanted to kind of get him in the mix and just see what he could do. I saw his first start for South Bend, and I kind of compared Jordan Wicks to a Cole Hamels type of pitcher, one that okay. is not going to blow you away in terms of velocity, but he knows how to pitch, and he's got four pitches that he can depend on, a fastball, a changeup, a breaking ball, and then a secondary fastball. So he's just one of those guys that he knows how to pitch. He's going to do a very good job changing speeds, and he does have front-line stuff. I just think it's not going to be the whole – 95-plus velocity is going to be that 92-93 that Cole Hamels had for all those years, and he's just going to do what he needs to do to get people out. Okay, sounds good. My last question for you, Dustin, is who are some prospects that are close? Give us some names that we're probably going to see on the Cubs in 2022. Davis. Okay. Uh, uh, Davis, I would have told you last year that Davis would have been a September call-up in 2022. But after the season that he put together this year and just – getting on the cusp of being a top 10 major league prospect, he's going to have every opportunity in the world this spring training to make that opening day roster. Whether he does or not is the question, but there is no doubt that he is going to be on the major league roster in 2022 in some way, contributing basically as much as he can contribute. Marquez, I think, will contribute in 2022, but like I said, I think his days as a starter are over, especially when he's only thrown two-thirds of an innings the last two years. If you got a left-hander at 22 years old throwing 102, 103, you can use him like a, an Aroldis Chapman or a Josh Hader out of the bullpen and just get him in there and just be a matchup nightmare for anybody involved. Uh, if Amaya comes back from his elbow injury, I do think Amaya can contribute by sometime late 2022 probably like a september call-up situation or if heaven forbid the cubs trade wilson Contreras, well then he's kind of your option going forward after that but outside of that i think most of these prospects are at least one maybe two years away in terms of position players uh some of the deals that the cubs got at the trade deadline this year like caleb killian and Espinosa may kind of push their way onto the roster in 2023, but the three that I mentioned, uh, Amaya, Marquez, and Davis, I think will be the ones that you'll see in the majors next year, and then you'll just kind of start to see the cycle after that where one or two guys are ready every single year. It's just a matter of when they get there. Okay, that's awesome. We'll definitely keep our eyes on that as we get closer to the next great Cubs team, as Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer has been saying. That's all the time we have for today. Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anytime, Anthony. Thank you. Absolutely. As always, this episode brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill and available on um, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.